Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Friday, October 13th. I'm Hannah Floor. A parcel of land on the banks of a popular Petersburg sport fishing spot is up for auction by the Mental Health Trust Land Office. Blind River Rapids is about 14 miles south of Petersburg. Residents and tourists sport fish for hashery kings and coho salmon there. The piece for sale is directly in front of a garage-sized boulder on the north end of the rapids. Alaska's legislature created the Mental Health Trust Authority to fund mental health care in the state. It does so through sales of land allocated to the trust. The Mental Health Trust land owns five parcels of waterfront property at Blind River Rapids. Petersburg Vice Mayor Bob Lynn says the land should remain public. He's concerned that Petersburg residents may not be able to continue fishing in the area. I don't see anything in there that preserves uh, access, uh, right-of-way access. Uh, Maybe it's there, but I certainly don't see it from their plat and from the information I have. The auction went live on September 13th. An official from the Land Trust Office says decisions about land sales are made a year or more before they go to auction and often take public interest into account. Lynn wants the borough administration to work with the trust to trade borough-owned property. Allow the manager to see if we can negotiate with Mental Health Trust to trade land um, that we have in the borough for, for that particular parcel out there. Officials from the Land Trust Office say they're not sure what access the public would have to the land if it is sold. The rapids themselves are state-owned public lands. The right to fish those waters is guaranteed under the Alaska State Constitution. Most people get to Blind River Rapids via a quarter-mile-long boardwalk from Mitkoff Highway. That access won't be affected because it's on U.S. Forest Service land. The land auction comes on the heels of a September 5th vote by the Petersburg Borough Assembly declining to accept the design of a proposed trust land office subdivision. The planned subdivision has more than 100 lots between Blind River Rapids and Papke's Landing Subdivision. In a letter to the Department of Natural Resources explaining the decision, Mayor Mark Jensen said that the borough wanted to, quote, ensure orderly and safe development of lands located within the borough, unquote. The land auction for the Rapids parcel closes on November 27th. The starting bid is set at over $100,000. Petersburg Borough Assembly will discuss the matter at their regular meeting next Monday at 6 p.m. in Assembly Chambers. The Testamina is a ferry that shuttles passengers between communities like Homer, Kodiak, and Unalaska. Now it is laid up in a shipyard in Seward for repairs. Sam Dapsevich is the public information officer for the Alaska Marine Highway System. He says the repairs could take up to a week. Not something that we can fix while it's in the water, so they're going to haul it out in Seward and, and evaluate it and come up with a repair plan. Affectionately known as the Trusty Testy, Crews are looking to replace a rusted and leaking tail shaft. Dapsevich says ferries like the Tustamina have a life expectancy of just 30 years or so. But the boat has been in operation for almost double that time. He says rusted out parts are a major concern for the Department of Transportation. It's you know way beyond what the normal life would be for a ship like that. And so when these uh, rusted steel, or we, we refer to it as wasted steel, when these kind of issues come up, it's um, we, we have to take care of it. We want to keep the passengers safe and make sure that the, you know, the ship can be out there on the open sea. 
DOT is looking to solicit bids for a replacement vessel by November and to award a contract by the end of the year. But until the replacement is ready, staff will have to keep up with the aging boat. Following a three-year pause on dropping Alaskans from Medicaid during the COVID pandemic, the state health department is now changing how it processes renewals to keep more people enrolled. The goal is to reduce the number of people who are disenrolled for procedural or paperwork reasons. That's after more than a third of Alaska's Medicaid recipients were procedurally disenrolled in the first four months following the COVID pause, many for problems with their mailing addresses. And a lot of those disenrolled were actually still eligible for Medicaid. They required more paperwork. Medicaid is federally and state-funded, state-administered health insurance for Americans with lower incomes and with disabilities. It serves about a third of Alaska residents. State Public Assistance Director Deb Etheridge says, moving forward, the department will process Medicaid renewals by individual instead of by family unit. That means even if an entire family's coverage cannot be automatically renewed, it could be renewed for some family members. And Etheridge says Medicaid disenrollments are paused again temporarily so the department can can go back through paperwork for families who've already been disenrolled. We needed to really look deeper to see if a member in that household could have remained eligible without further paperwork. Etheridge says in the past three weeks, the department has re-enrolled more than 400 children and 200 adults who were previously disenrolled. She says the pause will continue until they can comb through the paperwork from all the families that were disenrolled since the processing started in May. Soon, Etheridge says, the department will get more detailed demographic data about who is being procedurally disenrolled. That may change the way they reach out to people who need to renew. We're going to be able to be more strategic in how we do some of our outreach and really see if there's areas of the state that need additional support. Etheridge says the department is also encouraging health care providers to talk with their patients about Medicaid renewals. Municipal elections in Sitka were held early last week, as they were here in Petersburg. KCAW's Robert Woolsey has the results. Voters handed high school teacher Tim Pike a three-year term on the Sitka Assembly after ballots were counted on Election Day Tuesday. A second three-year term on the Assembly will be decided by absentee counting this Friday. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Tim Pike was an incumbent appointed earlier this year to the Assembly to fill a vacant seat. Fellow incumbent J.J. Carlson was also an appointed incumbent and finished second to Pike by only 127 votes. Carlson's taking the second available three-year term is not assured, however. Challenger Scott Saline finished just nine votes behind Carlson, which puts him easily in range of capturing the seat when a possible 79 absentee ballots are counted on Friday. In any event, both Celine and Carlson will serve on the Assembly beginning this fall, with the candidate winning the fewer votes, taking only a one-year term. Political newcomer Austin Cranford finished a distant fourth with just over 500 votes. For Sitka School Board, incumbent appointee Tom Williams won a three-year term. Williams was the only name on the ballot for three open seats on the board, Steve Morse and Phil Burdick entered as write-in candidates and appear to have succeeded, earning a combined 1,030 votes. After the ballots are hand-counted for the write-ins, the top vote-getter will take a three-year term on the board.
The runner-up will take a two-year term. Both Morse and Burdick are retired educators and well-known in the district. The lower-than-usual interest in serving on the Sitka School Board in the past few years prompted Ballot Proposition 1, which would amend the Sitka Charter to allow municipal employees to serve on the school board. Voters passed the proposition overwhelmingly by a nearly 4-to-1 margin. Prop 2 was a bit tighter. It asked voters to reinstate a 1% seasonal sales tax to support school maintenance, repair, and construction. Voters approved the prop by a 2-to-1 margin. The tax, which was in place for the last 20 years and used to pay off school bonds, will raise an estimated $2.3 million to support school infrastructure, which is entirely owned by the city. Turnout in Sitka was consistent with the last municipal election. About 1,500 residents cast ballots this year, but several hundred below the highly competitive general election last year when the late Congressman Don Young's seat was up for grabs. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Age Fall, Katmai National Park and Preserves Fat Bear Week celebrates bears gearing up for hibernation and the salmon that nourishes them. This year, the event saw its largest voter turnout ever with over 1.3 million people participating. Hunter Morrison highlights this year's champion and reflects on the event. Over the past week, 12 hefty bears at Katmai National Park competed bracket style for the adoration of animal enthusiasts around the world. The event has grown in popularity since its inception in 2014, this year surpassing the previous record of votes by nearly 300,000. The celebration brings attention to the park's brown bear population, which can be viewed on live stream cameras around the park. This year's champion is Grazer, a first-year winner and two-time mother. She did not raise cubs this year, allowing her to focus more of her energy on accumulating fat. She is also one of the park's fattest and most dominant bears, often displacing her larger male counterparts. Grazer first came to Katmai's Brooks River Falls when she was a cub in 2005. She had her first litter in 2016, weaning all of her cubs. She did the same with her second litter in 2020. Mike Fitz is resident naturalist with Explore.org, which helps run the event. Grazer has a great track record so far, and I think her sort of her skill at fishing and her defensiveness uh, helped her with that. And people, you know, remember a lot of those stories from from years past. So it just wasn't her her body mass change this year. I think people were also paying attention to her her life story. While the fat bears are the focus of this annual celebration, it also helps raise awareness for the health of Katmai and sockeye salmon in the Bristol Bay region. Without returning salmon to Brooks River Falls, there would be no fat bears. Each bear in Fat Bear Week is an individual with a unique story to tell, and we have that really unique opportunity to watch these bears and get to know them as individuals at Brooks River. Uh, so it's an opportunity to celebrate their work and success uh, as they prepare for winter hibernation, but it also celebrates the salmon that support the health and richness of Katmai's ecosystems. Fitz hopes that Fat Bear Week will help people better remember and care for landscapes like Katmai. He believes that through events like these, people will be more willing to protect habitats around the world. I think something like Fat Bear Week, I hope, uh, motivates people and, show, and shows people that there's still a lot in the world that is, that is good, that is worth saving if we work hard uh, to do so. The, you know, the future of brown bears and salmon and Katmai isn't guaranteed. We have to sort of uh, shepherd 
and, and steward those efforts going into the future. So that's one, I think, of the, the major goals. Last year, Fat Bear Week saw voters from over 100 countries and every continent. Although they are still gathering information about this year's competition, they expect to see similar results. In Kenai, I'm Hunter Morrison. GCI says they're entering the next phase of their subsea fiber optic cable project with surveys completed in six communities across the Aleutians, the Alaska Peninsula, and Kodiak Island. According to a statement from the Internet provider earlier this month, crews recently finished surveying locations for the project in Chicknick Lagoon, Chicknick Lake, Cold Bay, False Pass, Uzinki, and Port Lyons. Native Village of Port Lyons Administrator Denise May states, quote, The new high-speed connectivity is going to be transformational for our communities. There's still a lot of work to be done, but we're excited to work closely with GCI to make the process as efficient as possible, end quote. Planning for the project started in 2017. Five years later, Unalaska was the first community to receive service. GCI says the second phase will expand service to a total of 12 communities, running from Kodiak to Unalaska. In late September, GCI crews were in the final stages of construction in King Cove and Sand Point. The company said in a statement that these communities are expected to be linked into the fiber optic broadband network by the end of the year. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.